to the Starks Lounge, a podcast about business, entrepreneurship, and franchising. I'm your host, Steve Tallis, and I'm the co-founder of Starks Barber Company, one of Canada's fastest-growing franchise systems. Starks is an upscale and modern take on the traditional barbershop, offering men the ultimate haircut experience. One of the things that makes our stores unique is our lounge, a place where customers can relax and socialize before their haircut. My goal in this series is to talk to my guests candidly, like we're hanging out in the Starks Lounge. I want to give listeners insight into entrepreneurship and business ownership and a behind-the-scenes look at what our company is all about. I'll be talking with franchisees within our system, as well as experts and thought leaders in the franchise industry. I really hope you enjoy this series, and please subscribe if you do. Thanks for listening. In our first edition, I'm delighted to have Sam Samad with me. Sam is one of our newest franchisees at Starks, who signed a multi-unit deal in Toronto in 2020. He and his brothers will be opening stores in the city over the next few years, and they bring a wealth of corporate and business experience to our network, along with a great attitude and energy. And I've really enjoyed my time working alongside uh, Sam and his brothers, and I think you'll really enjoy his insights today. Sam, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Always happy to chat about Starks. Yeah, so first question, Sam, I just want to establish a little bit about yourself with the listeners. So um, just just tell us kind of, uh, you know, what you studied in school and where you started your career and kind of what took you to this point and, and you know, at the, the point now where, where you're with Starks. Sure, yeah. I've, <clears throat> I've got to say I've always been, um, you know, a curious a curious guy when it comes to business. Uh, I didn't start down that path, but uh, I was studying life sciences, uh, moved to McMaster, you know, went to school there, then felt like that wasn't big enough for me, moved to Australia, uh, did an exchange program there. And, and that's when I felt like the, the people around me started shaping, you know, my interest in business. So I'd say halfway through my undergrad which I feel is what a lot of science students struggle with. It's kind of like you either go to med school or you don't really have a lot of paths. Uh, I kind of made the bold decision to just jump into business, do my MBA. And uh, I feel like I've never looked back. You know, some, some people want to start making money early in their twenties. They want to live comfortably. Um, and, and when you go down the other paths of, you know, a more professional career like medicine, you know, you're really borrowing a lot of money and you don't really start enjoying <clears throat> investing or spending you know your wealth uh, until your 30s if that's if you pay off the debt that you incur so uh, i was always curious about how quickly i can start making money how quickly i could start owning a home how quickly i can start investing and use you know the time value of money to really build wealth so during my mba which i did part-time i was really you know working in the corporate world taking courses you know, one or two at a time in evenings and just really being able to absorb what I was learning and then trying to apply it, you know, in the corporate world, in real life and whatever scenarios I come across. So yeah, that, that's a bit about my journey. Um, not, you know, the typical path, but one that I feel really allowed me to, to shape my career in business, whether it's, you know, corporate tech or even the entrepreneurial side that the MBA really you know, showed me the ropes of how to build a business plan, like how to have a time horizon of three years. And if, you know, you're, you're not breaking even within that, then it's not really a good business to go into. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, it's great. I, I think it kind of like touches on my, my next question. And 
one of the most exciting things that, you know, someone can do is start a business. And, and you know, I wanted to know if this was really a long time coming for you. And, and there's, there's different ways of thinking about that, I guess. You know, I, I know for myself, it burned inside of me for many years. And certainly I grew up with entrepreneurs all around me. Um, when did you actually start thinking you wanted to do it? And, you know, was it was it a recent event that sparked something for you and your brothers? Um, or were you guys thinking about this for a while? And, you know, I want you to talk about about them as well, too. And, and I, I know you guys kind of collaborated on on this venture. So um, tell us that story about how you got, it got from a little seedling to actually um, buying your, buying your Starks franchise. Yeah, great question. I, I would say, you know, I, we've been inspired by a few people. One being, you know, our uncle had a pretty, pretty large furniture store uh, back in like the early two thousands and it, it closed down with the recession in 2008. But, you know, as, as younger kids, my brothers and I would, you know, on the weekends go and just see how it is to run, you know, a, a large furniture business, you know, selling, like marketing, just kind of wearing all the hats that you need to, the accounting stuff, um, you know, how to take salary out of the business. Uh, that was always, you know, something that we were curious about. And then I'd say, you know, maybe early in our corporate careers, my brother and I, you know, started going down the path of investing in real estate. So, you know, we bought something pre-construction. I was maybe 20, 23 years old. You know, I didn't really have the money for a down payment, but just took the risk, you know, knew that in a year and a half, I'd have to come up with that down payment. And that, that's, that's probably the first time we started feeling like you take a risk, but with the time value of money and just, being leveraged, even pushing yourself a little bit, um, th there's a healthy balance of that in business. And it's, it's a good thing to always, as much money as you're making, just be a little bit leveraged and, you know, invest your money and take advantage of the time, the time value of money, in my opinion, like doing it, the earlier you do it, you know, the more your money doubles and triples, like when you get later in your thirties, forties. So that was the first aspect of it. And when you become a landlord and you have an investment property, you know, you have to start doing certain things that a, an entrepreneur would do, like, you know, set up a corporation, file your taxes, do write-offs, you know, whether it's for your car or, you know, renovations or things that you're doing at that property. And I think with that first venture, I noticed that my brother and I, gelled well together you know he was happy to take a, take care of all the financial stuff the accounting <clears throat> and i was happy to deal with all the you know customer facing aspects customer service aspects finding a tenant you know dealing with the tenant um and i think that's what we noticed you know we make a good team and then our younger brother you know had just started working as well so we decided let's bring him on it so it started really with just real estate investing, but we, we knew that we didn't want to be in the corporate world, you know, our whole lives. And we started thinking, you know, let's, let's figure out some other way to capitalize on what we have here. And we, we looked up for a while, I'd say we looked for a while at different businesses and then the Starks opportunity came up and I think we found that it was a good balance of, you know, being involved, but still being able to, do our corporate jobs and 
you know, hire somebody to run the business uh, and, and just be able to manage it, you know, whether it's on weekends or evenings, wherever you need to get involved. Yeah. One of the things I want to touch on there that, that sparked something was, you know, I, I keep hearing that same sentiment. We or I knew we didn't want to be in our corporate jobs forever. And I think that, you know, that was definitely, definitely part of my story and I couldn't get out fast enough. And, and my business partner, Ryan, who co-founded Starks with me back in, in 20, 2012, 2013, um, I, I hear it time and time again. Um, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think people feel like the time horizon on the corporate career isn't 30 years anymore and, and so many people feel like they want to pivot um, and they feel maybe like they're getting burnt out? You know, just touch on it, speculate a bit, maybe share how you feel about it. I, I think I think it's not for everyone. Like, you know, I, I love my corporate jobs that I've had and I, you know, I could see myself doing them for quite a while. I just don't think I'll be doing them in my, you know, late 40s. I'm in my mid-30s right now. I don't think I'll be doing them in my 40s, 50s, 60s. So, you know, I think for some people, it can be very lucrative. You could save a lot of money. You could really take the safe route of, you know, protecting for your retirement and having coverage, whether it's insurance benefits. And I think that's just the safe route for a certain, you know, segment of folks in our, in our economy. For me, I think I always like to take a bit more risk and, I don't know that I want to play that safe card for too long in my career because I'd like to enjoy a bit more of work-life balance and being able to take as much time off as I want, being able to work, you know, into the evenings till midnight. When, when you work for a company and you start, do, you know, working late into the evenings and taking time away from your family, there's this level of guilt that builds up and you start questioning, you know, is it really worth it? Um, you know, I'm kind of putting a lot of sweat and energy for somebody else's business to really be successful. And so I, I struggle with that. I think many of us do work late into evenings, you know, you work past your nine to five in your corporate jobs and it's okay to do it once in a while. Um, in my sales career, it can also be very rewarding, but when it becomes, you know, consistent, I think having your own business, you feel less guilt doing that and you get more enjoyment out of it because you know it's, it's kind of like your own baby that you're building and seeing it grow is just much more rewarding so I think that's that's why Steve there's probably the type of profile that's similar to me and my brothers where we love the corporate world and we've learned a lot from it and built uh, an incredible network from it but I think we always veer towards that entrepreneurial side because long-term we just know it's a more sustainable way of managing work-life balance and putting, you know, a lot of your sweat and effort into something that is probably going to be much more rewarding from a wealth perspective as well. Yeah. I, and I expected that answer. I mean, obviously we, we've spent a lot of time together. I even in one of my materials quote you as saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now able to start really investing uh, my time and in myself as, as opposed to a large corporation. There's so much more um, to unpack. A lot of people, you know, feel the same way. So it's good insight, you know, so you guys bought into the business, right? So, so we're ready to roll here and we're mid pandemic, which, um, 
which I think is great for, for our listeners. Um, you know, and it's something that I definitely don't want to shy away from and I really want to tap into. You know, and I always tell people when buying a franchise, there's a spectrum and there's risk on one end and there's opportunity on the other end. And you kind of have to stay down the middle and not sway too far one way or the other. And so you're kind of objectively assessing them both. And again, you guys are, are unique for us because, you know, you entered the system during the early days of the pandemic. I want you to take me through how you and your brothers were thinking about this opportunity and, and particularly on the risk side, you know, you're assessing the risks and the, and the opportunities as well. I, you know what, actually, I'd like you to speak equally on both because I do think that there's great opportunity c- kind of coming out of this. And you guys alert, alluded to that uh, as well. So, you know, talk, talk to me a little bit about the internal conversations about why the timing was right when, you know, a lot of people might have a contrarian look at it and, and think that the timing is wrong. Yeah, you know, my, my philosophy on that, Steve, is if, if something sounds too good to be true, or it just seems like, you know, everyone's doing it, you're probably too late to the game, and you're probably, you'll do fine. It's just not going to be something that you should have high expectations for, you know, really getting a good deal or really um, coming in at the right time. Because usually when when it feels like it's risky, that's usually the right time if you're looking for a lot of upside. And with Starks, you know, we probably could have signed up for a franchise when COVID was over. But you and I both know that your commitments to a landlord <clears throat> and structuring your lease, you know, over 10, 15 years um, is very different than during a pandemic when, you know, there's tons of landlords out there just looking for tenants. Um, the other aspect of it is, you know, from a marketing perspective, I would have never expected this, but during the pandemic, it's almost like everybody's looking for a haircut and you look at your Google searches and hits and, you know, anybody that can get an appointment is, is really ready to be your customer. So these are things we didn't really think about. But I can tell you the things we did think about when we were weighing out our risk and options was one, you know, we weren't too worried that this was a retail business that was going to be cannibalized by some e-commerce strategy. Everyone's going to continue getting haircuts in person. We knew that there was this strong sense of loyalty and a relationship with the customer that you could capitalize on. And if you could acquire customers and get them in your door and do a really good job with customer service, you know, you'll have plenty of opportunities to wow them. You'll have plenty of opportunities to, um, you know, educate them on your products, your services, and really, really earn more share of wallet from those customers. Um, the, the other aspect of it is that's probably less on the, you know, weighing out the risks is just from a, you know, from a, from a personal perspective, I felt and everybody felt this during the pandemic that, you know, our economy was just really taking a hit. And, you know, I live in the East York neighborhood and, you know, you walk down Queen street or you walk down young street and just seeing all these stores closing, you know, all these shops that have been around for a very long time or, or existing barbershops or salons that, you know, have been operating for 60 years. um, There's something inside you that just, is upsetting to see like 
these streets become almost a ghost town. And, and you feel this responsibility, not that it's your job to fix it, but it's your job, you know, if the, you have the opportunity to kind of take the baton from somebody else and go be a tenant for a landlord, go be, you know, somebody that's offering a service to the local neighborhood. So that, that aspect for me, at least, I can't speak for my brothers, that played a big part in it. It's always hard to find strong purpose in a corporate job, but, you know, on the weekend, um, going to, to the locations and just seeing, you know, people come in with their kids, you know, the local community, uh, you know, stores across the street, just being happy to see you surviving or opening, um, you know, doing a bit of that bartering or referral business to, to ask people to go and check out, you know, the new store in the neighborhood or, you know, go support local business versus the big box stores. <clears throat> there, there's just a rewarding aspect to that that also played a big factor into, you know, doing it now versus waiting until it's safe to do it later. Yeah, I love what you're saying there. I mean, from a community standpoint, obviously we harp on it with our franchisees, but I think it's ingrained in us. Like Ryan and I, we started in the community that we grew up in. And then the second store we opened was in the community that we lived in because of course none of the young professionals at, at the age we were at could afford to live in the community that we grew up in. So there was a bit of a migration happening, but we always loved doing business in our communities and communities we knew. Um, and, and I know in, in, in the sense um, of our, our Peterborough uh, franchisees, they were just really excited about giving the Starks experience to the community of Peterborough. And I thought that was really interesting. And then on the other side, what you're talking about, when you talk about the investment standpoint and you know, kind of setting up your, your long-term investment into this uh, entrepreneurial exercise, you know, you're right, timing is, is there and we wanna to talk to people and let them know that, you know, hey, you're making a big commitment here. So I feel like it is kind of the norm for people to take that like trader mentality and I, I'm start to segue into my next question here, but where everybody in life feels like it's what's happening every single minute. And you know, they, they, they feel more like traders instead of investors. And when you're, when you're opening a small business, you're making an investment you're looking, you know, over the course of the next 20 years. And so, you know, coming out of this pandemic, it's, it's going to be a small kind of uh, blip on the radar. And, you know, were you able to set yourself up in a strong position? And my, my next question, I'm, you know, I know you're an investment guy and, and we chat a lot offline and spend time together. And um, famed investor Ray Dalio said in his book, Principles, there's kind of two types of people. There are these achievement-oriented people who love the journey. And then um, there's those who kind of live in the present and, you know, just kind of tend to cherish the nuance of everyday life. And they're not mutually exclusive, but entrepreneurs are typically those achievement-oriented people. Um, as opposed to the ones living in the day. And I just want to know like how you've enjoyed the journey so far. And again, it's, it's definitely been turbulent. You haven't been able to run the business as much for as much time as you would have liked by now. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't, again, I don't want to shy away from that stuff and I want to speak uh, and I want to have you speak transparently about it with the listeners. Um, but what's the journey been like so far? And um, you know, what's your outlook for, for the next 12 months on, on the short term? Yeah, good, good question. I'd say for me, you know, what I've enjoyed about the journey is being a customer of Starks. You know, I, I was a customer for three years going there and I enjoyed my experience then. And I think, you know, I'm enjoying it now being on the inside looking out. But, you know, the 
the, the idea of the staff and the hiring and like building that culture has been, you know, a big part of it for me. That's, that's the part that I enjoy more so than, you know, the late hours in the evenings or weekends with my brothers, just doing planning, um, you know, meeting the staff, getting them excited about, you know, disrupting this industry, getting them excited about, you know, the data and the technology that we have and how we can measure customer satisfaction or <clears throat> customer loyalty, um, you know, the launching of the mobile app, the investment in AI type features. You know, this is the stuff that I do in my day-to-day -day life. And I go usually advise, you know, larger companies to have a digital strategy and, you know, be able to engage customers, not just when they're in your store, but have that, you know, kind of persistent relationship digitally where you're always there whenever they, you know, have feedback or whenever they need something. So to me, that's, those are some of the nuances that I've enjoyed as part of, you know, whether it's opening up or operating, or even now when we're closed and you're engaging with customers digitally and, you know, trying to be there for them, whether they want to order a product or, you know, still dye their hair and get the right formula that they have from your shop. You can't do this unless you have that data on your customers and, you know, you view them as somebody that you have a long-term relationship with. It's not just when they're in the store paying for the haircut or the service, you know, that you actually know who they are and what they're looking for. So to me, that that's a big part of it that I've enjoyed. When, when you talk about the philosophy about, you know, having an achievement and looking forward to it in the entrepreneurial side. Yeah, to me, those KPIs and like being able to measure that and see see the needle move on it from month to month is is very inspiring to us. Um, that that's what I enjoy. So I'd say we have you know some pretty big goals. Whether it's just my brothers and I, or even with you and Ryan, in terms of what we want to do with the Starks brand and what we want customers to view us and think of us. <clears throat> When, when they see the brand or they walk into a store. So that, that's the stuff that gets me excited. And there's just so much opportunity for disruption. And coming out of this pandemic, you know, you hear everybody say it. It's like whatever digital transformation organizations have has been accelerated by, you know, three to five years. And our business is not sheltered from that. I think customers are going to have a higher expectation where, you know, when they've been at home and been able to do everything digitally, it's like now it's back to real life. And yes, I, I, I don't want to talk to someone to book an appointment. You know, I'm busy. I want to be able to book an appointment pretty easily on your app. I want to be able to see who cut my son's hair six months ago when you guys were open. Uh, I'm not going to remember that stuff. And I expect, you know, a brand like yours to make it easy for me. And that's, that's the exciting part. All that is possible with technology. And, you know, being young entrepreneurs with the support of a franchisor and the ability to negotiate with economies of scale with multiple stores, it gets me excited that we can get our hands on that stuff <clears throat> and implement it and get it in motion pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, I, I think about, you know, back when we were starting in the business, disruptive technology was really emerging and, you know, we wanted to choose a business like a haircut that was not only insulated, in a way, it was also an opportunity. I mean, we, we saw so many barbershops out there that didn't even have a website. And, you know, some, some people will be listening to this today and depending on, you know, what, what, what age they are, they'll think that that's just, that's just crazy. But 
um, you know, definitely was, was still a thing back in 2013. Um, and, and so we looked at it in two ways, um, you know, we're, we're protected in a way, but then we also have this opportunity to bring an element to the, to the industry that, that it really needs. And I think we've been a leader in that category and it's going to serve us really well coming out, out of this. So I agree with you. One of the things you touched on there quickly was, was, was the staff. And, you know, one of the things that was important to me coming into entrepreneurship was thinking about what type of boss I wanted to be. I was kind of lamenting on my, about my corporate career and I, I, I had one boss. I had some great mentors in that, in the, in those days, no question, but you know, I had one boss that I really didn't like and a couple of experiences that totally turned me off of, you know, the entire corporate world at that point, to be honest, maybe it was that straw that broke the camel's back for me, but um, you're a very approachable guy. It's been easy for us to get along really well. You know, you've chosen a business where when it's all said and done, you'll probably have managed hundreds of people over the course of many years in several stores like I have. Um, it's a very social business. How do you think about management and, and what are the values that are important to you? And I just want you to talk to the listeners a little bit about how you think about managing the team. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's different than the corporate world, but it's also not so different. Um, I think the, the store that's open right now, you know, although I'd love to interact with the staff much more than I do and I can, but, you know, sometimes it's the simple things of just, you know, treating them as another human being and understanding that people have personal struggles. And with COVID, it's been magnified, you know, tenfold. So, you know, we've been closed since November now. It's been five, six months. And I've had many conversations with staff that either have, you know, moved around the city or had to go get another job because, you know, whatever CERB payments or employment insurance they're getting is just not enough. And, you know, as somebody that's managing people, it's, it's a skill that you have to learn of just being able to treat people, you know, like you'd like to be treated and, you know, not treating it like a, a sweatshop or some, some, somewhere where, you know, people are expected to report in. And if, you know, if you can't come, then we don't want you here. Like being, being flexible and understanding people's, you know, own issues in their lives and challenges it's, it's paid off because we've gotten referrals from people that just say, Hey, like, you know, these guys are great guys to work for. Um, they're understanding, you know, I've, I've had some milestones in my life and they've given me the time to deal with those, whether it's getting engaged or getting married or you know, wanting to go and try something else. And a lot of them come back and you've seen this, Steve, right? Like, you know, you kind of let people go and try something and, they realize the grass isn't greener on the other side and then they come back to you and they bring somebody else as a referral. So it's, it's been nice to see that, you know, you're changing people's lives and you're also being a great boss that is compassionate and empathetic and allowing them to, you know, think of what they want to do and what their career is. And I think that's the beauty about Starks is you know, whether you want to be part-time or full-time, you know, you want to leave, go, you know, no one's going to stop you and we will always welcome you back. Um, I think they appreciate having, you know, somebody in leadership that thinks that way. And the other aspect of it is, you know, with customers, just making sure that although we're not there, you know, physically, but, you know, giving feedback, constructive feedback on a customer that has a poor experience and teaching these folks how to 
think about customer experience from a selling perspective, from a service perspective. Um, you know, I, I feel like the team has gained a lot of value from these things that we've maybe experienced in the corporate world, but they're not that much different. Like it's when you simplify it, customer service management, um, there's some simple, you know, values that you could, you could follow in a small business, you could follow in a big corporate culture. And to me, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy building teams. I enjoy coaching people and growing people and, you know, getting them to do what they want to do, which isn't necessarily always what, you know, you as a manager need or is kind of satisfying your short-term needs. So th those things are cool and, and it's great to be able to experience them even at a small company. Yeah, and there's a bit of a legacy impact there. You know, I find that in our industry, um, certainly a lot of, of the businesses are owned by people who work in the business. And, um, you know, we have been able to bring a bit of an objective look and some of the things that we've learned from, from the other side, the corporate side. And, you know, when you really can give them some skills that are transferable um, wherever they go in life, um, you know, and in, in, in whatever industry that they work in, I think that's there's a bit of a legacy element there, and it's it's kind of cool. So yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. I wanted to pivot over to the um, the customer. So Sam, one of the things that really gave me a jolt of excitement was um, the first time a customer reached out during the lockdown about getting his hands on some product. I think it was back in November um, down by your store there at Young and Lawrence, and he, you said to me. You know, I'll drop it off at his house. I always relish the chance to wow a customer. And that's usually something that we have to emphasize to franchisees for the first little while. And I always tell people that it's kind of been ingrained in, in Ryan and I over the years. I, I remember in our first year back in 2013, there was a great article that came out in the Washington Post um, where Ritz Carlton had a guest whose five-year-old child left their teddy bear at the resort. And not only did they ship the bear back to them they actually took pictures of the bear all over the resort you know sun tanning getting a massage etc and and wrote a letter to the child kind of assuring them that teddy had a great time while they were apart and, and aside from the great pr that they got it's that type of go the extra mile attitude that i think is critical for success and and really rewarding in in service and hospitality and the like and, and, and I want to know where that came from in you because, you know, again, you've spent your entire career in corporate and, um, you know, it just seemed like it was already ingrained in you and, and, and it's so critical. So talk about it. You know, where did it come from? And, and again, why is it so important in our industry? Yeah, that, that story that you mentioned, <clears throat> I saw somebody uh, deliver it on stage at one of the uh, – Part of marketing conferences, but that that story definitely resonated with me, Steve. You know, if you ask me to think of a story of a great customer experience, I think the Ritz Carltons, you know, kind of really set the standard. Um, and you visit their properties, and you could just you could just see that they go above and beyond. And it's you know, business is a balance. I know sometimes, you know, most people most people feel like you need to be ruthless, like it's all about the bottom line, and you know, you have to be efficient. But the flip side of it is that, you know, in our business, it's not a transactional relationship. And maybe in some businesses it is, and you could be, you know, a bit more 
ruthless from that perspective of, you know, this is going above and beyond for the customer and this scenario is going to, you know, cost us more money. And if, if people hear about it and we have to do it for everyone, then, you know, it, it becomes something that is not scalable. But in our business, like I said, I'll reemphasize, it is not a transactional relationship, although many people have treated it that way over the years. But, you know, you have somebody coming in regularly to your shop, you have their undivided attention, you build a relationship with them. When they think of something that is important to them, like, you know, maybe it's their kid's graduation and they need to get, or family photos and they need to take a picture um, for their kids. You know, you want them to know that when they come in, they trust that you will do whatever it takes to get them an appointment, to make sure their haircut is perfect, even if they have to come back and get it fixed. Um, maybe to send their kids into your shop without the parent uh, because they live down the street and they just can't afford to, but they just know that, you know, their kid or that person that's important to them is in good hands. And you want to be the brand that knows just like the Ritz Carlton. If I'm going on vacation, like how do I make sure that my family and those that are important to me or somebody that I refer is in good hands and having that type of mentality, whether it's you know going and dropping off a product because it's COVID and you know, their kid or somebody needs that certain dye for their hair so that they can attend a Zoom call for an important family function, whatever it is, it's, it's not a lot of effort from your side to really wow the customer. And in my opinion, that moment that you wow them creates a long-term effect and a long-term relationship where, you know, they know they can count on you and they know that you're a brand that will always have their back, even when they're not there, even when they send somebody from their family or referral. So to me, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a philosophy I live by and there's nothing that drives me crazier than a poor customer service experience or I'll give you an example. I just ordered something from uh, a certain brand online and I got a shipping confirmation, but then it, it didn't get delivered by that time. And I, and I emailed somebody and you know, it's, it's the craziest response I've seen. They responded to my email from that company's email saying, you know, we're not the right person. You need to follow up with this person at this email address. And I was like, why can't you just forward the email or loop in that person, um, you know, to make it easier for me and, and make it a great customer experience. So uh, I think what drives me is the poor experiences I've had drive me absolute nuts in companies that have the resources, have, you know, the manpower. And I think that's, that's why when I get a chance to wow a customer, it's like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you go above and beyond and, you know, make that a great experience for them? Because again, you know, you're going to be dealing with them long-term and you know, you could leave an impact and, you know, shape that relationship in that moment. You might not get that moment again to shape the relationship and maybe somebody else will. And there you go. You've just lost a, a customer relationship and somebody local in your community that, you know, could have been um, somebody that you have a long-term relationship with and that refers other people like their friends, family, because of that trust that you build. Yeah. And I, I, I hope, I really hope we don't lose the, the care that and the nurturing of, of that, that we get from small business because, you know, we've obviously always kind of coached and taken that approach within the, the network at Starks that we want to, 
do a lot of grassroots community marketing and build reciprocity with the community that we want to take a really focused approach to customer service and go the extra mile. And I think that just that comes from, you know, that's how my dad and my grandfather ran their businesses um, in small communities um, when I grew up. And, and I think that like, you know, COVID has, has definitely given um, a, taken a hit that taken a shot at the, um, the small business economy. And I really, really hope that we don't lose that because I think that that, that elevated customer service and that level of care and that extra mile is uh, it makes people feel good and it makes them feel appreciated. And um, you know, I think it's a really important part of society. I wanted to, I wanted to get away from the, the financial and the money aspect for a second. And, and I just wanted you to speak about business ownership in the context of, of everything, but like, what are, what are the goals there? Is, is, is it, you know, fulfillment? Is there a legacy component to it in, in terms of what you can build and, and, and where you could leave it or who you could leave it for? Is, is it, is it, is it mostly flexibility and time? I mean, we always talk about time being a precious commodity and we want to, you know, it's the one thing that no matter how much money we make, we can't buy more of it. Um, you know, is it passion? You know, is it, is it now I'm working in a business that I'm super passionate about, you know, and it might be all of those things, but I just want, you know, that behind the scenes discussion again amongst the Samad brothers about this opportunity aside from the financial aspect. Um, because again, like, you know, all three of you kind of like went to school, got a business degree, got a corporate job and an MBA and you know, now you're turning the whole thing on its head and opening barber shops. So it, it can't all be about the money. You know, talk about talk about everything. But yeah, I think for me, you know, I love Toronto. I love the city. My uh, <clears throat> my fiance was in Los Angeles, and I think at one point there was a big discussion around you know moving to LA and you know starting a life there. Uh, I, I love Toronto. I, I've got a you know soft spot for the city itself. And when I think of, you know, getting grounded here with, and, and maybe some of the real estate investments, you know, my brothers and I have made as one aspect, but again, getting, getting just your roots further and deeper and into the city and, you know, making sure that you maybe leave like a mark on the city in some aspect is, is important to me. And, you know, in, in the last year with just Starks, uh, I joined um, a call recently with BNI, which is a, a big organization that works off, you know, entrepreneurial and local business referrals and just hopping on that call. And there's maybe 18 people on that call from, you know, a yoga instructor to a real estate lawyer to uh, um, a, a real estate uh, representative to, I mean, just every kind of profession you can think of that has that local community small business aspect to it and just seeing them you know interact and you know share referrals because they trust each other and it's like you know what differentiates you as a mortgage broker from all these mortgage brokers available in the city well we donate you know a portion of our profits to help this you know fundraiser that helps kids in need etc and you know to me aside from the business aspect of it, it's like, I want to have more of those conversations. I've had conversations at, you know, with C-level execs at these big companies. And sure, I have a massive network of that, you know, across Toronto and across the country, but I don't feel like I have that 
you know, local community network of, you know, somebody I know I can trust that's a lawyer or somebody I know I can trust that, you know, is a chiropractor. And so to me, that's another aspect that's fulfilling about it is, you know, walking down the street or hopping on some of these community calls and meeting some of these people. It's, it's very different than the networking that I do in the corporate world, because in the corporate world, it's usually always about business. You know, you might have some personal discussions. Um, and I think the level of trust is harder to build um, in the corporate world. You know, it's, it's a lot more transactional and people change jobs versus somebody that has, you know, a local fitness or real estate or law firm or, you know, financial advisor. Like they're in that for life, right? That's their business. That's their baby that they've built. And when you build trust with them or you build a relationship with them, it's, it, it's longer lasting and it can weather a lot more than, you know, a corporate relationship that you have that might be two, three years in length. And you'll have some that last longer, but I think a lot of that falls off because you're, you're interacting for a certain transaction or a project. And once that's over, it's hard to keep that bond going. So to me, like, being known in a certain neighborhood and having that local community that I think leaves a legacy that's longer um, is a pretty cool phenomenon and a pretty cool concept. And, you know, if I raise a family and have kids, um, you know, being able to bring them into that type of a, an environment, I think is pretty cool too. And, you know, being the go-to guy that just connects people across the community with referrals. Oh yeah, for sure. I know a great, you know, guy down the street that, you know, can do this for you. Um, there's a rewarding aspect of that too. You know, I'm glad you said that. As I, I sit here and listen to you talk, I'm in my home office and I, I look up at a, uh, uh, a little newspaper clipping that I have of my father when he passed away and, and he died at a young age, but he left his mark on the local community with his business and it, it's titled Car Wash Owner Touched Many Lives. And it starts by saying Don Tallis was the type of guy who all 400 guys in the hockey league knew. Uh, it was a quote from one of the guys that uh, played in the Mark Men's Hockey League. And it just goes on to detail, you know, what a caring guy he was and, and how many people loved going to the car wash, more so to talk to Donnie than, than, than maybe even get their car washed. And so, you know, I don't doubt for a second, you know, that, I just want to say that message touches, touches me. And I don't doubt for a second that, that you'll leave your mark on, on the city and, and certainly in several neighborhoods as your position to to continue to open stores. And from what I've seen so far, there's going to be a, a really um, impressive and exciting run of success for the Samad brothers. So Sam, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. I had a ton of fun. And as always, I always have fun uh, when I'm around you and your brothers, whether we're talking business or fantasy football or anything else we have in common. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on our team. And the same way I've always told employees and in the stores that they were the heartbeat of the business. I truly believe moving forward, you know, the franchisees are kind of the heartbeat 2.0 and they, or they at least merge into that. And uh, I think they'll take our brand to the next level. So, so again, thanks for joining our team. Thanks for being on here and sharing some honest insights with our listeners. My pleasure, Steve. It's always fun chatting with you and Ryan. And uh, I look forward to seeing, uh, you know, what comes out of, this year and next year and the expansion with the franchisees. Yeah, me too. And, and, I, and I look forward to continuing to record these, uh, 
podcasts with, um, you know, franchisees and, and we're going to get some industry leaders on here and I, I hope we're going to provide a lot of, uh, cool content and value that people can connect with. So, uh, everybody out there, stay tuned for uh, future episodes and, and we hope you enjoyed today's. Thanks a lot for listening. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Starks Barber Call.